Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. All right. Hey, good morning. How's everyone? Y'all good? Okay, good. Uh, Welcome to church. My name is Bronson. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I get to be one of the leaders, uh, one of the pastors here. And we are in a new series. Uh, We kicked it off last week, and we are talking about the good news of Jesus. And so here's the question we're asking. How is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the real practical solution? Think about this. Think about your life. How is the gospel the practical solution to the problems that you face as an individual and the issues that we face as a culture? Uh, Last week, I had the esteemed honor and privilege of preaching on sin. Uh, And it was actually, you know, it's funny, as a pastor, I've preached on a lot of things. I've talked about sin, but I've never preached explicitly just on original sin. And so we went back to the garden, okay? Uh, Anytime you're studying something, I'll give you something for free, and you want to understand something, it's always good to go back to first origins. It's called the law of first origins. If you want to understand why things are the way they are. And so we went back and we studied the garden. And if y'all are familiar with it, there's the Garden of Eden, right? And who lived there? Adam and Eve, that's right. You remember from Feltboard Church. Uh, Adam and Eve were there. And and God said simply to Adam, he said, Adam, if you'll trust me with the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll have life. But the moral of the story is that Adam and Eve and we as humanity, we do not trust God to fulfill us at the most basic level place in our lives. And so we go to other things to fulfill us. We're going to talk more about this today. Uh, The great thing about the gospel and the story of the good news is that thousands of years later, another religious leader, religious figure was in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane. It's called the garden of crushing. And God said to Jesus, if you trust me with the tree, I'll crush you. He said to Adam, if you trust me with the tree, I'll give you life. Adam was disobedient. He said to Jesus, if you trust me with the tree, I'll crush you, but I'll provide life for everyone else, right? And who's thankful that Jesus said yes, that Jesus trusted God with the tree? That's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves so that we could find life and hope and peace and purpose. And so this morning, we're going to talk about purpose. And we're going to come at it from a couple of different angles. We're going to talk first about desire, and then we're going to talk about purpose. But the title of the message this morning is The Problem of Purpose. And so go with me. Uh, I'm in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm in the NLT. When you got it, say, I got it. Where are my paper Bible people at? Where where are my notebook people at? Okay, those are the real Christians. Those are the real Christians. Uh, I didn't even say just kidding. Did you catch that? Okay. Uh, John 4. I'm going to read a a lot of scripture here. I'm going to read 15 verses. And so, but I I have faith in y'all. I I know that you can stick with me. Okay, 15 verses. It's back on the screens as well. Uh, Y'all can go ahead and throw that up there. And y'all read along 
with me. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, the disciples did. This is the biblical way of saying uh, the people who are your haters never get the details right, okay? Uh, It says, so he, that's Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, real quickly, uh, Samaria was a place, it was a geographical location. It was a part of the landmass of what we'd now call Israel. Uh, But the Jewish people and the Samaritan people were were massively at odds. And so basically what they were at, at odds about was in the Assyrian exile. So the uh, the Israelites had a number of exiles. If you're not familiar with that, basically they would sin and God would remove them from the land that God had promised them and hope that they would learn their lesson and they'd be brought back and they'd leave and come back. So this is kind of the rhythms of the Old Testament. Are you all with me? And so the Samaritans were left behind after the Assyrian exile. And, and basically the Samaritans were kind of like hybrid Jewish people. And so they, they believed in the Torah, but they didn't believe in the rest of the scriptures. And they actually had a bit different view of what the hope of God was, okay? And so what does all that matter? You guys hear that and it's like, oh, it's kind of like a denomination. Maybe, but that stakes were a lot higher back then. And so because they viewed things differently, uh, the Jewish people thought that and believed that the Samaritans made them ceremoniously unclean to interact with, okay? So Jewish people literally would go around Samaria. They wouldn't even go through Samaria, much less interact with them. Okay, so eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sukkar. Everybody say Sukkar. Okay, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. It was hot. Everybody say it was hot. Hot. Okay. Uh, Soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. Why was she surprised? Because Samaritans and Jewish people didn't interact. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God that he has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you, everybody say it with me, living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you've given it to us to understand life. God, to understand our place in this world and the things that you want to do in us and through us. God, to help us better understand ourselves and better understand you. And so, God, we pray that this morning you would teach us, God, that you would show us. Our hearts are wide open. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Say, I'm spiritual, right? I feel like that's a common thing nowadays. They're like, and this, I'm not hating on you necessarily, but they're like, you know, I'm into my crystals and I'm spiritual, right? Spirituality is something that's actually on the rise. It's interesting. If you go back and, and you look 100 years ago, they, they really believed that spirituality was on the decrease and that secularism, which is the belief that what you see is what is, was on the increase. But what's happened is actually the opposite. And if you look at most future projections, most people believe that globally the world will become more spiritual, not less spiritual. Why? There is something within all of us that says there must be more. We have these desires. We have this fire within us. And spirituality is what you do with that fire, right? Spirituality is what you do with those fires. Actions shape our desires. And actually, I would say actions show us what we believe. A guy named uh, Jordan Peterson says that. He says, uh, show me your actions and I'll show you your belief systems, right? Uh, and so I, I want to look at, at two characters. I want to look at two historical characters from about roughly the same time period. Uh, Janis Joplin and Mother Teresa. Uh, raise your hand if you know who Janis Joplin is. Okay, well, some people do. Janis Joplin was a singer in the countercultural hippie movement. Uh, she'd sing that, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Y'all know that song? No, I'm not going to sing anymore. That's it. I'm retired. Uh, she, she was a, a figure in the countercultural movement, and she was the epitome of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, okay? That is how she lived her life. It was a life of excess. And then on the uh, contrast side, we have Mother Teresa, right? Uh, Mother Teresa, in 1948, she moved to Calcutta, India, and she worked with the poorest of the poor on the planet. She was in leper colonies, and she was exposing herself to sickness, and she was loving these people because she believed that's what God had asked her to do. What is the similarity between Mother Teresa and Janis Joplin? It's their extreme energy. It's this desire. It's this passion. They are both intensely passionate people. If you don't believe that Mother Teresa was a fiery, passionate person, look at what she accomplished. Okay, When she arrived in Calcutta, there were 13 people who were part of the Catholic Church there. By 1997, by 1997, there were 4,000 nuns working in Calcutta, loving the least of these, working with these people. Now, if we look at Janis Joplin's life, she, she had scattered energy. What, what do I believe? What, what do I mean by that? Kierkegaard said that a saint is someone who can do the one thing. Everybody say one thing. A saint is someone who can direct all their energy towards pleasing God, towards knowing God. And what we see here is comparing, contrasting these two people, we have Mother Teresa who focused her energy, her spirituality, her desires towards the one thing. And then you have Janis Joplin who, who took her spirituality and her desires and she scattered them and pointed them towards everything, right? Mother, Mother Teresa lived late into her life. She died in uh, 1997, like I said. Uh, she was in her 80s. Janis Joplin spent her entire life by the time she was 27 years old, right? She spent it on creativity, on her performances, on drugs, on booze. 
and ultimately the neglect of rest. I want to read this to you from a book that I've been reading here recently. It's not on the screen, so you'll just have to listen. Uh, it says, most of us are quite like Mother Teresa in that we want the will of God and to love the poor. We do will this. We desire this. The problem is we will everything else, right? We desire everything else as well. We want to be a saint, but we also want to feel every sensation experienced by sinners. We want to be innocent and pure, but we also want to be experienced and taste all of life. We want to serve the poor and have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by solitude, but we don't want to miss anything. We want to pray, but we also want to watch television, read, talk to friends, and go out. Small wonder, life is often a trying enterprise, and we are often tired and pathologically overextended. Today, we're we're going to look at the story in the scripture of another woman who had incredible energy. A woman who took this energy and she scattered it and she used it in all these different places. And we're going to find out how Jesus offers the real practical solution for our spirituality, for our desires, and for our purpose, okay? You want to dive into it with me? Uh, Okay, John 4, 5 through 8. Let's read this again. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. What's interesting is if you look through history, they never lost Jacob's well, which is kind of just a cool thing, right? They, they, they've always, if you track through, they've known where it was. Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired from the long walk and sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. Okay, so she's drawing water at the hottest part of the day, right? It's noon in the Middle East. It's hot, right? How many of you guys love to do yard work? You're just like, when it's the hottest, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to sweat to death and I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to want to die, right? None of us want to do that. Some of you guys are crazy. One guy in the last service was like, I want to go out there and get a suntan. It's like, yeah, okay, Michael, I hear you, all right? (laughs) For the rest of us, we are not interested in that. Okay, let's look historically. Let's, Let's dive in. Let's feel around. Let's be in the text. What's going on here? Okay, so Jesus is leaning on the well. He's tired because it's hot, right? And he's thirsty. He's leaning against it, waiting for somebody to come with a jar. Now, she would have carried a jar, most likely would have carried it on her head. She would have lowered it down and drawn water. So he was standing there waiting for someone to come, right? He was waiting for someone to come who could draw water. Uh, This woman, normally, women would have come about 10 a.m., they they would have gone to the well, and they would have uh, drawn their water then. Why? Because it wasn't as hot, and they would have gone in a pod, right? It wasn't called a pod, that's just what I'm calling it, all right? It would have been a gaggle of women from the village. Why? Because it's ancient times, and it's dangerous out there in these streets, right? They do not want to go out there by themselves, and so they would have gone together because it would have been safer, and they would have gone at 10 because it would have been cooler, But here comes this woman in the heat of the day by herself. Why was she alone? As we read further, we're going to here in a little bit, this woman was most likely a social outcast because of the way that she had spent her energy and the way that she had lived her life, the ways that she would have fulfilled her desires. 
And here she is encountering Jesus. Now, what I want to submit to you this morning is that Jesus did not come upon this woman by accident, but Jesus was actually seeking this woman. We believe that Jesus was both uh, fully man and fully God. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. You know, if you go and you look, most people would have gone around Samaria, and there were two reasons. One, because they hated Samaritans. <laughs> That's easy. Number two, it was a more difficult road. And so it, it was easier to go around the other way. It would have been a little bit longer, but it wouldn't have been as difficult as a journey. Jesus chose the difficult journey because he wanted to reach someone who was searching. Some of you guys in here, you're in a place in life and you feel like God's not searching for you. You feel like because of the way that you've lived your life, the things that you've done, that God is not interested in you. Some of you guys, when you really are honest and you look at your life, even if you look at what you did last night, <laughs> you're thinking, if people in here knew what I did or what I've been doing, they would not be looking for me either. But here's Jesus doing what he always does, which he's breaking through our social constructs, our idea of what's right, and he's engaging with an individual who is desperate for love. He's seeking this woman because he is seeking people to worship in spirit and in truth. And here's the offer of Jesus. He makes this offer to her and he makes the same offer to us. Ultimate fulfillment. Look what it says in verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water that I give them, anyone who drinks this water, excuse me, from the well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink from the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh spring bubbling within them to eternal life. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you have found your sense of self, your sense of meaning, and your sense of hope in places that are not satisfying you. If we're going to use the well analogy, he's saying you've been taking the bucket of your heart and you've been dipping it into different wells and you've been trying to find soul satisfaction, but you haven't found it. And in fact, the places where you're looking for satisfaction are actually choking the life out of you. He's offering her fulfillment at three basic levels of human need. Number one, he's offering her fulfillment in the area of her thirst. Number two, he's offering fulfillment in the area of her worship. And number three, he's offering her fulfillment in the areas of her purpose. Okay, let's walk through this. Number one, her thirst. We're going to talk about our thirst as well. So point number one is our thirst. Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. Look what she says, verse 15. Keep walking through the text. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Speaking of, can I have a water? There's one right beneath you. Last service, I took a drink there, and you can just hand it to me. That's good. It's probably, it's probably mine. It's mine. I'm just kidding. I put it there earlier. I forgot it. Please, sir, this woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Okay. I believe what I want to submit to you this morning is that Jesus is capable of satisfying our deepest desires. However, it will cost us something. He wants to satisfy our deepest desires, but it'll cost us something. In the 90s, it was like, come to the CD burning party and burn your Dre CDs. Y'all remember that? <laughs> you got to burn the chronic or whatever it was. Uh, your Dave Matthews CDs, whatever you were into at the time. Y'all know from looking at me, I was listening to Dave Matthews. I'm not even going to act like I wasn't. <laughs> 
still do from time to time. Jesus is not saying, come bring these peripheral things. We're going to do a CD burning party. He's saying, I'm after not some music that you're listening to, although the music you're listening to shapes your life and you should be careful what you take in. Uh, However, he's saying, I'm not after that. I'm after that deep place. He said, I'm after that one thing that you keep dipping your life into, thinking it's going to bring you soul satisfaction, but it hasn't, and it's killing you. Jesus is trying to show us something about the condition of the human heart in this conversation with this woman. We are all thirsty. We all have fires and desires in us, and we have things that we're trying to do to satisfy those things. And all of us have these deep longings of our hearts, these deep thirsts of our souls, that nothing on earth can satisfy us. And he's trying to show us that each and every one of us tries to satisfy those longings by putting the bucket of our hearts in the wells of our own making. And we try to drink from it, thinking it will quench our parched soul, but we're left thirstier than when we started. We thirst for things like purpose. We all want to know who we are, what we were meant to do, where we're supposed to be going. And so we put our purpose in our schooling or in our careers or some social cause. But inevitably, you find somebody who's in school who's smarter than you and you don't find the satisfaction you, want did, you once did. Your career doesn't go the way you hoped it would. You find yourself thirsty. Are you tied to your, yourself to a social cause that inevitably fizzles out, leaving you thirsty? We thirst for things like love. Some people are so desperate for love, most of us, all of us, But some of us, this is the place we keep dipping the bucket of our soul into another relationship, regardless of how unhealthy it may actually be, regardless as to how many people tell us not to go, how much our conscience tells us this will not satisfy us. We go back. Why? Because we long for someone who's always there, who's always patient, who's always welcoming, who's always accepting, who's never self-absorbed, but who is present and there for us. Who does that sound like? It sounds like the man this woman found leaning on the well. And ultimately, we all thirst for peace of conscience, right? Every person sitting in this room has experienced one thing. I can guarantee it. It's the feeling of guilt and shame, right? We all struggle with guilt different times. Guilt is what keeps you up at night. It's the thing that torments your soul, right? Maybe you've cheated in school. Maybe you've done th- something in a relationship you, wouldn't ha- you, you wish you hadn't. Maybe you've fudged the numbers at work and you're terrified somebody's going to find out. Maybe you've stolen, you've lied, you've looked at things that you know you shouldn't have looked at or you didn't want to look at. Whatever it is, from one degree to another, we all struggle with a guilty conscience and we want to make it right. We long for a clean conscience. We thirst for peace of heart. And what Jesus is telling this woman and what he's telling us is that craving in you, that thirst in you, you're never going to be able to satisfy in any of those things. Only the water, Jesus is saying, that I offer you will satisfy you. Right after this, she says, I want the water. Look what he says. 
Verse 16. Go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. He is busting her out so hard. Like, this is savage, which kids don't say anymore, but I'm getting older, you know, so I'm just going to get stuck five years ago. Here's what he's saying. Okay, you want this living water. Give me the thing that you've been putting in its place. What he's saying to her is that you have been trying to fill your soul. You've been dipping the bucket of your soul into the same well over and over and over again. And you're trying to find soul satisfaction. And you're doing it in men. He's saying, that's what I want. If you'll let go of that, I'll show you true satisfaction. I wonder if anyone can relate to this. (laughs) I know I absolutely can. Y'all, in different seasons of my life, I have sought satisfaction in any and every way you can imagine, whether it's through sexual fulfillment, whether it's through drugs and alcohol. I've got the stamp from rehab to prove it. (laughs) Whether it was through career, finding success in my career, starting to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I can live with myself now because I'm making good money and I'm not as fat as I used to be, (laughs) right? Let's be honest. This is how we size ourselves up. This is how we decide if we have value or not. And Jesus is saying, there is a better way to find your value. There's a better way to find your worth. If you keep drinking from that well, you're always going to come back thirsty. Y'all, listen. I'm not one of those pastors. I don't want to dog on anybody else. I don't know why I said it that way. I'm not saying your desires are bad. I'm saying they're bent in on themselves. What Christ wants to do is not to starve you of pleasure. He wants to help you use your desires in the way that they were intended to be used, in a way that would bring you life, and that would bring you peace, and that would bring you hope. C.S. Lewis said it brilliantly in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What's Lewis saying? He's saying, we want to sit and make mud pies and play in the yard. And God is saying, I've got this better thing for you. Let's go to the beach. Let's have full joy. Let's have full life. And we're like, no, I'm good with this. You know, I'm good with the the mud. Jesus knows how for us to ultimately walk in full satisfaction. And what he's saying is, if in your private life, you will feed on the word. That's the bread of God. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, that's the water of God, and then go out and live your life, you will live a much more fulfilled life. A lot of times we think about how am I supposed to be a strong Christian? It's like I've got to read the Bible 24 hours a day. All right, anywhere I go, I've got one AirPod in, and it's the word in my ear. If you do that, I'm not making fun of you. Sometimes that's a good thing to do. But I'm saying 
that God doesn't want us simply to be serious and in solitude. I believe that God wants us to experience him in laughter and in silliness and in joy and in fulfilling relationships. But what we do is we let our desires turn on us and actually rob us from life. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that true, healthy spirituality is taking the desires that are naturally in us and channeling them towards God and letting him show us how to be truly fulfilled. Number two, our worship. So number one, it's our desires. Number two, our worship. God aligns our desires with God's design. Jesus aligns our desires with God's design. Tells her to go get her husband. And then seemingly she goes on to talk about worship. Now, I fully do think that she's deflecting a little bit here. She's like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about where we disagree in politics, right? You've got to be hating a conversation to be like, oh, you're on the opposite side of the political aisle? Let's talk about that, right? That's what she's doing. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, why Samaritans claim it's here on the mountain where our ancestors worshiped. It's a big point of tension, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time's coming. Here's what I want you to see. This is what he's getting at. This is, what he's in, this is an invitation. The time is coming, indeed it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am about the Father's will. The Father is seeking those who will worship in that way. Jesus is seeking those who will worship that way. And Jesus has found someone, and he's giving them an invitation to worship God in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Ultimately, what our desires come down to is what do we worship? What do we ascribe worth to? What do we give our most attention to? Is it hobbies? Is it relationships? Is it careers? Is it your love life? What are you worshiping? Because what we worship ultimately shows where we find our meaning and we find our purpose in life. How does that play out? If you have that thing, you think you'll be content. But who in here has found that thing and found themselves still discontent, still with a fire within you, still with a lack of hope, still with a lack of peace? Jesus is saying, I want to give you a well that won't run dry. What he's saying is I want you to be indwelt. Okay, so... Few things are happening here. Let's, let's dig further into the text. So if you go back, men, spiritual men and wells are, are present within the scripture, right? You have uh, Genesis 24 and Genesis 29, and then you have Exodus 2. There are three examples of patriarchs of the faith going to wells and finding their wives, right? Of course, you guys just know those references off the top of your head. I did too. I didn't have to study for this. I just knew. <laughs> That's a joke. I had to look it up. So, one of those wells is, is Jacob's well. And then later we find Moses at a well, meeting a woman. 
right? All those guys are, are looking for, they're patriarchs looking for matriarchs, all right? Say that five times fast. Patriarchs looking for matriarchs. Jesus is not looking for a wife. He's looking for a foundational figure for this new people of God that he's going to send forward. And how amazing is it that the person Jesus chooses is from the wrong race, she's from the wrong place, and she's doing all the wrong things. And Jesus is saying, I want to use this woman. I want to invite this woman. This is the first invitation like this. This is who I want to use to be a foundational figure in the faith that I'm bringing about. He's inviting her to worship in a totally different way. You know, we talked about it a couple, last week about how when you read the scripture, all the laws, the moral civil ceremonial laws, they all point to Jesus. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. But not just the laws, the stories, right? Jesus is greater than Jacob, she asked, she said, are you greater than our father Jacob? Absolutely he is. And he's not going to leave you with a historical well or a promise of land. He's going to place a, a, a well within that, that's inside you called the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're having this argument about temples, right? Let's go back. Should we go to Jerusalem and worship or should we worship on the mountain? It's a question of location. What Jesus is saying is he says, I'm going to make you the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is going to dwell in you, and that is going to bubble up into fullness and life for you. Yo, that's what Jesus is offering. He's saying you don't have to go to a place to find me. I'll come find you, and I'll come live in you. Verse 25, then the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. What's the Messiah? It's the promised king. It's the promised deliverer. It's the one who would, overcome, who would come and overthrow the, overthrow the oppressors of Israel. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's come to do that. But I didn't come to overthrow your physical oppressors, but your spiritual oppressors. Jesus didn't come to drive out the people who were taking their land. He came to drive out sin and death so that they could find hope and they could find peace. They could find life and they could find soul satisfaction. It's interesting. Jesus gave an incredible amount of value to women in a culture that did not ascribe a lot of value to women. Go study the Gospel of John. The first person Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to was a woman. And here she finds her purpose. So Jesus says, I want to deal with your desires, the places where you put the bucket of your soul, bucket of your life. I wonder what that's looked like for you. He says, I want to deal with your worship, the things that you put ultimate worth in. And I, I want to teach you a different way to worship, to worship God first. And the last thing he deals with is he deals with her purpose. Look at this. John 4, 28 through 30. The woman left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She left her jar. This is symbolic. She left behind the way that she used to satisfy herself to find soul satisfaction because she had found true satisfaction in Jesus. 
What Christ offers is this. He offers each one of us a look in the mirror at who we actually are. Think about this. This woman was hiding at the hottest part of the day to avoid all the people around her because of the judgment that she knew that she would get from them. And then Jesus invites her to look in the mirror and he shows her the garbage, but then he shows her the glory. He shows her the garbage in her life and he shows her the glorious plan that God has for her. And this woman who was so ashamed of her story that she hid and she avoided the people in the village ran to those same people who talked about her, who didn't like her, who judged her. She ran right in the middle of them and said, I met someone who told me everything I ever did. And they're all thinking, we already know everything you ever did. But this is a woman who was so deeply ashamed that she hid now she's coming out and she's saying, this is who I am. And I found ultimate peace within myself. And I found it in the person of Jesus. I found the true love I've been searching for. I've been looking for men to satisfy me, to make me feel loved. And I found the true man, the God man, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who's shown me that I have true value and I'm truly loved. Jesus lets us see the garbage and the glory, the brokenness and the beauty. And here's what we see here. When our desires are disordered, our lives are disordered, right? This morning, uh, Tommy, Bishop TC, Colonel TC, Tommy Covington, uh, he, he leads our outreach efforts out at Sunset Terrace. Him and Fitz do an awesome job leading that team. His wife, Stacy. He goes out every week, and I, I want to show you a photo here. Uh, this is Deshaun. Deshaun's three years old, and uh, a couple months back, three months ago, he, he was shot in the forehead and it exited out the back of his head. And Deshaun is wearing a helmet because he doesn't have the back of his skull. They have to have that helmet on him to keep him safe. Y'all listen to me, keep, keep that photo up. When you are so obsessed with satisfying your own desires, you will never go out and try to help other people find satisfaction and help other people find peace. You will never try to go out and bring love and hope and joy to broken people. What we see is in this story is we see a woman who'd spent her whole life trying to please herself and after one encounter with Jesus, she went and found other people who needed to find that hope and to find that peace. You know, right now, I'm raising a daughter. She is a fiery woman. I'm just telling you that. She is a high-energy girl, and God has amazing plans for her. I can't wait to walk with her and shape her. can't wait to baptize her one day. I'm going to get emotional. i got to stay off of that. But one thing that we're going to have to teach her soon is that the world is broken and it's shattered. You know, the core of our worldview, listen to me, is that we live in a, a broken world that God is mending, right? The theological phrase for this is that God is already mending it, but it's not yet fully healed, right? And so we as Christians, when we encounter brokenness in the world, cannot be surprised. 
This little boy had this happen to him because there's someone out there who's shot because their, dis- their desires are disordered and it's brought destruction, right? God has charged us, God has called us to bring the message and the hope of Jesus to lost and hurting and broken people. And here we find a woman who in one moment was crippled with insecurity, crippled with fear, consumed by her own desires, who has one encounter with Jesus, and she becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament. The whole village, if you go read, there's a revival that happens in the village. People come to know God. An amazing church comes to be there. Why? Because this one shattered, broken woman trusted Jesus to satisfy the deepest parts of her. Y'all, if you want to walk in purpose, if you want to walk in peace, you have to first let Jesus satisfy that one place that you most look for purpose, for peace. We see in the text that she goes from a social outcast, getting water alone in the heat of the day, to a bold evangelist, successfully inviting the people she was ashamed of to come meet the one who freed her of her shame. She goes from someone who hides the details of her life to a storyteller, broadcasting her biggest failures and the supremacy of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He's the water in the wilderness that satisfies our soul. He offers us the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is the fire in our bones. He's the fire and he's the water. And it brings us a motivation and a zeal for life. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the hope for us. This is the answer, I believe, to the meaning of life. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into a time of response. I just wanna encourage, I wanna invite you guys just to take a little bit of time and ask God what he's speaking to you. I wonder if there were any moments while maybe during worship, while the team was leading or maybe during the message where you just, something got you, something grabbed you. It could be God speaking to you that he wants to do some work in one of those places. So number one, what's God speaking to you? And number two, what's he asking you to do about it?